Welcome to Design Much with Andy and Patrick. Hey, Michael. Hey, Patrick. <laughs> oh, whoa, whoa. No, where's Patrick? Hey, Andy. No Patrick this week? This is weird. No Patrick this week. Uh, yeah, we are we are person down, but I am very excited to have you on the show, Michael. Yeah. Michael Nielsen. I'm honored to be here. I think um, this is really a launching point for my career. <laughs> I may replace Patrick full time. You may, yeah. We'll see this what is, This is an audition. I know this he's on audition, vacation, so. but, you know, <laughs> maybe we push him out. Who knows? Ooh, we'll, we'll have to see. I'd love uh, to get he... some of these royalties that you guys get off of this thing, you know. <laughs> I'd love to be a part of the sweet cash. Mm-hmm. We are rolling in the dough from, from this <laughs> yeah. endeavor, for sure, so I, I don't blame you. I yeah. can tell by Patrick's microphone that's like five years old. Yeah. <laughs> 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 It's very, yeah, making a lot of cash, very committed, all mm-hmm. of it. That's all true, all true. Well, yeah, this this is your official audition, and you've been on the podcast many times. I don't, I don't even, I can't, I've lost count how many times you've been on. You are our, our resident, our resident PM yeah. on the Design Much podcast. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, you might take over, but keep in mind, Patrick does actually edit all of our episodes. So he oh, might take I'm, all of your stuff out yeah. and <laughs> insert himself in instead. So who knows? <laughs> yeah. I've tried to edit things before. I lose patience really quickly and just yeah. don't do a good job. So yeah, we're, yeah. I'm not replacing Patrick. Let's be real. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's, uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes. We'll see if you've make you your audio, your voice makes it to the final episode or the final version of this episode, I guess. (laughs) But either way, I'm very glad to have you on, to have a conversation with you today. Um, Even though you've been on the show a lot, Michael, Mm -hmm. I wonder if you could maybe introduce yourself to brand new listeners of the show, because we have so many. Um, (laughs) Let us know who you are, (laughs) what you're working on. I'm Michael Nielsen. I... I don't know how I ended up here. Um, Patrick and Andy, they felt bad for me. Okay, I know how it started. I was walking along the Timpanogos Highway um, by myself in the rain and snow, uphill, no shoes. And Patrick and Andy, they were kind enough to pull over in their car and say, hey, do you need a ride? And I was like, no, I'm good. I don't deserve a ride. And they picked me up anyway. They took me in, they clothed me, fed me. <laughs> um, in reality, we worked together at Canopy and we had a good time. It was a good run. Uh, I've been in product for about a decade now. Uh, I've been doing the math lately. Um, not even creative math. It's not like, well, I did like a project in school, you know, so it started, <laughs> you know, you're early in your career and you're trying to like tabulate how much experience you might actually have. It's really about a decade of uh, product experience. So, um, goodness. And um, yeah, I right now I'm doing product consulting. Um, been doing this uh, product and strategy consulting for a company. Uh, they're actually based out of Germany. Um, but um, things may change here soon. I miss the typical product world. It's kind of difficult to just be a lone wolf <laughs> out on the road doing mm-hmm. consulting. 
Um, so we'll see. Might make some Walking changes Walking down the, the road with no shoes on, right? Yeah, I was doing consulting back then too, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously not very good. <laughs> I didn't have shoes <laughs> or a car. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's uh, my career has been spent in product management almost exclusively. Had a chance to lead a couple teams, build a couple teams. Um, and yeah, that's it. Well, that's... That's awesome. Well, bless you for doing 10 years in product management. (laughs) I don't know how you do it, man. (laughs) Well, I don't either. Actually, I don't think really anyone knows how to do product management. (laughs) I think everyone (laughs) pretends. (laughs) It's a mystery. It's, I think it's a, it's a well-kept secret. No one knows how to get into product management. There's no like, no, I didn't have no straight way to get into it. The CEO of the company that I was working at, um, called, he was a pretty eccentric dude. Um, and called at like 2 a.m. on a Sunday night and was like, I think you need to be in product management, which at the time I was like, yeah, I don't, I heard the word what management, you know, <laughs> and I was fresh yeah. out of school. So I thought, yeah, dude, I'm ready. Um, and then just had to figure it out. But yeah, back then, I mean, so this is, you know, uh, 20 or what, 2011, 2012. Um, mm-hmm. I guess, you know, there were product management definitely had been around for a bit, but I think more in like hard goods and Microsoft had like program management, but everyone was Mm -hmm. just kind of latching on to early writings about product management. So it was, I did the same. I just latched on to like a lot of entrepreneurial type of writings. Like Eric Reese was, you know, everyone's profit in like 2010, 2011 for writing Lean Startup. Okay. And then yeah. I think just applying a lot of those and then like Marty Kagan started writing stuff. But, you know, the the foremost authority, I think, was like pragmatic marketing. There was all these former um, there's a program that you could get, you know, your some certifications in different things. But they were kind of preaching product management in a certain way. And anyway, that was a long time ago. It was a long time back in 2011. That's a long time ago. Yeah. In the tech world, that's like 50 years ago. I know, basically yeah. in tech world time. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I feel like I haven't aged at all since then. I've had a few kids, you know, moved a few times, but I still feel young and ignorant. So, <laughs> yeah, you look great too, Michael. Thank you, dude. I appreciate that. I feel awful, but thank you. For... <laughs> you made <hide> it well. <laughs> but i'm happy i'm happy (laughs) that's good that's good that's that's what matters actually you know what's crazy um andy is we met a long time ago and i think we've talked about this but i don't know if you remember but you had applied to a company where i had taken over product and Mm -hmm. um we i remember it was kind of a funny process because we couldn't afford anybody but especially not like people that had actually had a bit of a career (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) and ended up hiring someone that was just like desperate to find a job. But it was like, you know, I remember after you had gone out of the interview, I was like, yeah, dude, definitely. I was talking to the CEO and I was thinking, I really, really like this guy. Like, I think we get along really well. I like his background. And I think we had talked about like nerd stuff as well. So I was kind of like, yeah, we, we definitely get along. Um, and then the CEO is like, we just can't afford him. I was like, why are we yeah. even interviewing anybody? Man? <laughs> like, we can't afford anybody. <laughs> yeah. And that was early in UX too. I wasn't asking too much. I don't think. No, but... not at all. No, I still remember. I was like, <laughs> okay, what are we supposed to do about this? So then we hired, yeah. or I think we interviewed people that were like straight out of programs like UVU or boot camps mm-hmm. or whatever. 
and then found someone that was just like, oh, I'm willing to take a bet and I'm kind of desperate to find work, you know? So yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember that. And then yeah, later down the line, you joined on the canopy and I didn't I didn't connect the dots for a while that it was you that was, yeah. <laughs> that was <laughs> until um, you had, you know, brought that up. And I think, first the one of your first days someone called out it was really funny someone called out that you know, this is the new product manager for this team and just so you know a long time ago he interviewed andy and didn't hire him <laughs> that's all he said <laughs> they make it sound and worse the team, than like it looked is. at each other like okay <laughs> yeah that was not on purpose <laughs> It's probably a Patrick thing. <laughs> yeah, it probably was. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's it was a wonderful experience to be able to work with you, Michael, and I hope it happens sometime again. Yeah. Because I'm always trying to make it happen. I just yeah. can't pay you, you know, <laughs> whatever we do. That's next, it. You know? <laughs> I'm just so expensive. Yeah, they're freaking expensive, dude. <laughs> yep. I, I, I get I expect money for, you know, a dollar for each word I say. And I say lots of words. <laughs> yeah. Actually, that um, might be a bargain. Let's do that deal. <laughs> yeah, let's not. No, that's a bad idea. I need to rethink that idea. Actually, I'll pay I made no that problem. up on the fly. It wasn't wasn't great. <laughs> awesome. Should we jump into our topic this week's? Topic? Yeah. What do we have today? All right. So this week's topic comes from friend of the show Chris Jenkins. He actually has submitted like a million topics into our <laughs> our podcast. So I appreciate that, Chris. Um, and this is a good one. I think this will be good to hear something from a product management side of you too. Uh, so this is something we've kind of talked about on the podcast before, but the, the topic Chris submitted in is how to stay creative. Oh, I like this. Yeah. What a good question. It's a great question. So like designers, which I am. And which you're not no. <laughs> are very known for being like they're the creative people like they're the the special creatives that you know that come with all these amazing solutions and everything yeah. designers do have to be creative but uh you don't always and i'm sorry if i'm going to offend you or any product manager listening you but they're not always <laughs> pms aren't always associated with the word creative or am I crazy? Is that is that something that No, that I think I'm that's very valid. Well, so I'd I'd say maybe in in a traditional sense of creativity where people associate that to like uh designs themselves or yeah. you know, like pen to paper type of stuff. But it, any good PM has to be creative in like solution finding, problem solving pain identification, you know, all those things, you have to have a very healthy sense of creativity because mm -hmm. there is definitely ways to keep things to the status quo. And I think that that's fine in a lot of companies, especially bigger companies, but in differentiating a product, you have to be creative in your approach to it. You know, and that's, yes. that is something that I think with PMs and with designers, you can stagnate your creativity very quickly. If you start to just do things the way that you know how, um, from my perspective on product, yeah, I can I can get into a, a position where I feel like I'm doing the same things over and over again and nothing feels creative. You know, it's it's kind of like I know how to do this. I have my my little program and I just stick to my program. But in reality, you if you're not maintaining some semblance of creativity in the way that you're approaching things, 
I mean, that's just, that's a recipe for very mediocre products. And the way that I think about it is like where creative creativity really comes in is um, when you're trying to find solutions. I mean, if you're not, if you're not open to like real discovery and real uh, solution seeking, the market will tell you like the path of least resistance. If you're just responding to what customers say and what the market might be suggesting. And we know that (laughs) the path of least resistant makes for crooked rivers and crooked men. I don't know if you've ever (laughs) heard that (laughs) before. (laughs) Don't take the path of least resistance or you could be a crooked river or a crooked man. Um, So you're looking for resistance and pushback on ideas and you're looking for new ways and opportunities. And then I think it extends even further to when you're validating ideas, if you're not really creative with experiments. So I I help mentor some um, hopeful PMs at BYU. There's a PM program now. And Mm -hmm. a lot of times it's interesting talking to them because of kind of the, the lack of creativity around experimentation. So they have their ideas. They want to validate it. But to me, I have to remind myself and everyone around me that works in product that I, ideas, you know, if we treat them as hypotheses and they're meant to be proven wrong. And the way that you prove these things wrong is by experimentation. You don't want to prove yourself right. Otherwise, your experiment is flawed from the get go. Um, but you also want to keep your experiments really, really cheap. Uh, so you don't want to write lines of code before you've done a lot of experiments. You don't necessarily want a really, really polished design until you've run very low fidelity experiments. So being really creative about um, experiments is another thing. It it reminds me of the story of when they were first testing out Google Glass or coming up with the concept of Google Glass, which I mean, it's failed, but it was really, it's a really novel concept and a really cool thing that I think we'll see, you know, like a resurgence of AR things over the next several years. But um, there is this little bit of trivia that they said, how long do you think it took to create the first uh, prototype of Google Glass. And I don't remember the exact number, but it was like a minute, you know, like they they came up with like a paper and uh, like wire concept of what Google Glass could be. And that prototype cost nothing, uh, but it allowed for them to experiment and see like, what if you saw the world this way? Um, And, you know, I try to remind myself, those around me that are in product, be creative with your experiments and be challenge yourself to make them as inexpensive as possible, but learn, you know, maximum utility from them. Um, so yeah, I, I've got a lot of thoughts about creativity, but I wonder from your perspective in design, I mean, I imagine it's the same, you kind of ossify into like your own way of doing things. How do you keep things fresh? Yeah, I, I totally agree. So yeah, first, I, I love what you're saying there. The importance of that creativity, it's, you can absolutely find yourself stagnating and doing the same thing over and over to try to solve a problem and definitely find that that's not again going back to that path of least resistance that's not always the best way to do it if you're trying to make an exceptional product an exceptional design uh, which i think most of us are trying to create something exceptional Mm -hmm. uh, you have to do it in a creative way you have to try to think uh, uh, as they say outside of the box Mm -hmm. unfortunately not that you have to reinvent a wheel but you have to make sure you're solving the right problems the right way. Um, so that's absolutely true. I, I totally agree with what with what you're saying there, and um, I love how you're talking about being creative uh, in terms of 
being creative quickly, right? Mm-hmm. And you can, and that's a great way to be creative is by doing it quickly, because then you can actually explore a lot of different avenues to fi- try to find the best one, uh, and that's a great way to like have that creativity. As a designer, I think we we often, if you look at applications, <laughs> if you're about to design something, you like you know here's what the customer wants you often go back to what you've already seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a good reason for that, we, you know, because a lot of those things have been like, they've survived the test of time in terms of interaction, in terms of visual design. And you don't want to have to reinvent something you don't need to. Yeah. Um, but sometimes you you do need to be creative. And those sometimes are when the existing world of how this is being solved isn't meeting the needs that you're you're finding. So as you've done your research and uncovered the needs your users have, the problems they have, and you realize there maybe isn't something out there that can solve this right, or there maybe needs to be a small tweak on something to potentially solve this problem, that's when you have to open up the creative door and try to explore new things and, like you said, try to do it quickly. Mm-hmm. So... I think as a designer, especially um, those of us who are who are you know working in, in creating you know user interfaces and visual things, sometimes we need to stay creative along those lines, like making things look pretty. Mm-hmm. We need to keep up with the trends sometimes to make sure your app doesn't look old, um, and also try to find stuff that just looks good or different to help catch our user's eye. But on like the the UX side of things, like the, the actual functionality, you also need to be creative along those lines as well yeah. uh, to, to make sure you're solving the, the right problem the right way and not the way of least resistance. Um, and not also, again, reinventing the wheel when you don't need to. Yeah, which I think that's part of creativity that most most of us think of creatives as those that create these novel new ideas, you know, but Mm -hmm. what's interesting about that too, is I don't think that most of those are not necessarily like it just popped into my brain and I came up with this really great idea. Most of the time, if not all of the time, it's like, it's more of a recombination of observations, you know, like I have seen certain things that I've recombined into a novel idea. And I think that goes into, solution crafting goes into design thinking that mm-hmm. we're recombining. Um, I think a lot of people call it like associative thinking um, where, you know, you kind of associate different things and associate them into a solution that would work. So um, I remember when I was doing, I, I did innovation consulting for a short time and that was one of the exercises that we had put people through uh, because it, this was one of our premise, premises, premises is premise I yeah the, the premise I <laughs> so it's like like a magician <laughs> the great premise I um, but we would put people through this exercise where we would associate you know you think of your favorite things or brands that you really love and then associate them into a product idea so if people really liked you know their iPhone and surfing then you know you combine those things into a solution that makes sense some of them didn't make sense but it was just this the idea was you know let's kind of think through things in a more creative way and this mm-hmm. is one of the ways that you can do it is through associative thinking and so from my perspective a great way to stay creative is um, first I really like contextual interviews where it's just 
almost open-ended, you know, like where you ask somebody, hey, what is frustrating about your day or what's a new technology that excites you or, you know, anything that just kind of gets conversation going and not even necessarily in your own industry. Uh, It's really interesting to go to lunch with people outside of your industry and just ask them about their industry. And I think that helps with a lot of those associative thinking activities where you hear something that they may be working on or a challenge that they're trying to solve. And it has, there's little pieces of it that seem to apply to problems that you're facing. It may not be one-to-one, but there might be little pieces, you know, or little tidbits that could address it. Um, I also like to, I like to read a lot and I like to sprinkle in a lot of fiction into what I read. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I've kind of got a rule for myself that every third book has to be uh, fiction. So I may, you know, read a biography, I may read kind of like a, a, a business book, but then I, I have to read fiction. Um, and it's it's not a hard thing to force, obviously, because fiction is way more entertaining, but um, yeah. that helps keep things, you know, a little bit more creative. You think of the world in a very different way. If I'm reading some fantasy book, you know, I'm thinking about things in a very, very different way. Um, and it has nothing to do with work, but it definitely exercises that part of the brain that fosters mm-hmm. creativity um, and then I'll also I like to uh, you know play music and do things these activities that have nothing to do with work because I think it's it's almost like it's like exercise if you just work out your biceps you know all day <laughs> every single day the rest of your body is going to atrophy you're just working one element of your body and I yeah. think that that happens professionally where we just get into a rut and we're not really, you know, looking outside of our own abilities. We're just focusing on one muscle that we know really well, um, and it yeah it causes this this atrophy to the rest of our abilities. So I, I like to do some of those things. That helps me with staying creative. Is just doing things and pursuing things outside of exactly what work is. A ton mm-hmm. of conversations, you know, just these open-ended conversations of what's interesting. In fact, again, when I was doing, um, when I was working for this innovation consulting group we would challenge the teams that we were working with to literally have hundreds of conversations that had little to do with their project that they're working on. We'd tell them like, reach out to people at Google, Tesla, SpaceX, you know, like companies that you admire and are doing really innovative things, reach out to them, see if you can get on a phone call and ask them about the biggest challenges that they're facing and how they're solving them. And they'd have these really cool conversations uh, with people about wild technologies, you know, different processes, different ways of approaching things, um, even kind of like international approaches, how things are different in different parts of the world. So those were really cool opportunities for them to, again, kind of get outside of their bubble and Mm. flex those creative muscles. That is awesome. So there's a lot of, a lot of lessons to unpack from what you you just said, but I think a lot of that comes down to exposure. I think. Yeah, for sure when you're really opening yourself up to just a lot of things outside of your current view, it really helps you see the world in different ways. And I think it helps you step outside of that box Mm -hmm. because you're just exposed as you're talking about, like you're you're reading fiction, which by the way, for me, I have the opposite problem. I read too much fiction and then have to sprinkle in business (laughs) stuff, all that stuff. So it's harder for me. Um, But yeah, like it's, it's a, it's, I think exposing yourself to just, the rest of the world and the other things that they're pro- other problems they're solving and things that they're working on. Um, and even just like just other things that you love and I, you know, and new things, 
I think just looking back in my career as well, like I remember when I did work with Patrick when he was my manager back at Canopy, one thing that I love that we did as a team is we just went on field trips mm-hmm. where we we went one time and just toured a, a factory that made toothpaste. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like toothpaste, toothpaste and mints. And it was so awesome to just go and see how they, what was the process that they made to make all these little things. Like, mm-hmm. you know, those really cool videos that, they have for kids that like those factory videos like here's how the the toothpaste gets you know gets yeah. the toothpaste in the thing and it goes down this assembly line of stuff and sometimes there's machines doing it sometimes there's people but it's really interesting to see like a different process on how how things are made mm-hmm. um and just think differently about some of those things yeah. um, and it really helps you come back to your job with an open more of an open mind to think outside of oh, I don't have to look at these specific things. I could, you know, ask somebody else about what they're doing about this or just open up some more about being able to solve these problems. Yeah. I love that. And when I when I was first starting UX as well, I kind of took that approach. So when when I got my first UX role, I did not know how to do UX. I was transitioning from graphic design into UX and I didn't know how to do it. And one of my approaches in, in, to learning was for me to... I joined, you know, meetups and I went to design meetups and I talked to people about what they're working on and how they do things, how they are able to recruit customers to talk to them about, um, you know, the problems they want to solve for them, stuff like that. And that was so helpful for me to learn how people do things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was so much easier than I, I think it would have been learning it from a textbook or watching a YouTube video. Yeah. So I love what you're saying about like calling people up and asking them about how they do things or, you know, going out to lunch with somebody and just learning um, how they how their their experiences are going, because I think that's a great way for you to be just exposed to potential solutions you're not considering because there's so many out there that you you have no idea about. Yeah. And that's that's an important thing to remember as well is that you may not land on the solution ever, but if you're Mm -hmm. not making an attempt, and this would bring me to my my kind of last point that I think of is um, another important element of taking risk, sorry, of being creative is taking risk. I just flipped that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And being willing to put yourself out there. Because I think that's something that, again, from a PM perspective, um, and even from a design perspective, sometimes is difficult to do when swinging for the fences is really risky, you know, and like being really creative with uh, a new product or service, um, you know, some adjustment to a business strategy, uh, a new market or vertical, a lot of these things, it may be very creative in what you're trying to do, you know, maybe your product fits another vertical, or maybe, uh, you know, a new product that you want to build would be a great upsell opportunity, but you don't know until you've actually done it. And that's a really scary thing sometimes for a lot of people is they'd rather just kind of tinker away at what is working rather than find what else could work. Um, from a PM perspective, I know that that's, you know, that's where a lot of people kind of fall into the comfort of their career is not trying to go bigger or beyond. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, risks need to be worth taking. So you've got to be able to validate those things and really have the data to back it up. But I would say from a creative standpoint, always be thinking about those big opportunities. Uh, you may not pursue them, but you should always be thinking about them, about you know the, the big opportunity three, five years down the road, whatever it might be, but you're thinking about these really big opportunities that could be coming 
uh, towards you. And that's going to come through a lot of different ways. I mean, that's going to come through, you know, market indicators, through conversations, through your own gut feelings, but always be thinking about these things and be trying to validate them and stay creative beyond your next sprint, you know, be creative through the next several months and several years. And I think on a design standpoint, I think that's really important as well, where, you know, I've worked with designers that they kind of, uh, laser focus into one solution like they they craft their one idea yeah and that's it you know like any time that we go through a conversation with a customer it's just tweaking that one idea where i think creativity on a design front where especially if you're working on new big solutions it's important to come up with three or four ideas i, I know andy you and i uh, when we worked on a couple things you had multiple ideas. We went through iterations and some of them were drastically different where it was mm-hmm. using the page in a way that we had never done before or it was leveraging an old idea in a new way or you know, like we, we came up with various uh, iterations of the same type of solution, but it had vastly different impact when we talked to the customers about how they actually do their work. But that creativity was helpful in, in us figuring out Okay, how do they do their work? How should they do their work? How do we maximize that work? You know, and we, mm-hmm. we put ourselves through that um, experimentation, which was really cool to do. And, and uh, kudos to you for taking those risks in, you know, like we can go with the status quo, we can s- stay with what we've done, or we can go after something different and kind of write new rules about how work is done for our customers. Um, again, a re- I think a really important aspect of staying creative in design is just taking risk and not being afraid of those mistakes either. Yeah, oh, I love that. So, uh, and I appreciate you, Michael, for being a PM willing to do that because <laughs> not all of them are. You know, some of them are like, no, we should. This is what's giving us money now. <laughs> let's yeah. let's keep doing this thing, right? And I think it's really important. I, I love your idea of taking risk, and I think what what is hard for me from the the UX side of things is in UX, we work at a, I think more down to the ground. Like we're working on very small mm-hmm, interactions. Mm-hmm. We, we do have to like figure out like some sort of long-term vision in terms of the design, how things work together cohesively across an application, stuff like that. But I think product, one thing that's hard for product, I don't know if it's hard for you, maybe it's not hard for you, but is like the long-term strategy. Mm-hmm. And taking risks on that level of like, here's where we're taking the whole company. Here's where we're taking yeah. this whole product line, which is already stressful for me just thinking about this that. This is why I'm not a good PM, Andy, is because I'm always <laughs> thinking about that. <laughs> I'm not thinking about the day-to-day. <laughs> no, but I think that's great because I, I think that's really important to do. And it's important to be able to take those risks. It's important to like try to figure out the the innovative way to go for a company because as a PM, you have to do that. And I think that's just got to be something that's very hard and a hard way to, to stay creative. Mm-hmm. Because I think there's a lot of pressure <laughs> yeah. to, to just keep the lights on now as a PM, yeah. to keep people happy as they are now. But there's also, I think, an even bigger pressure to like, what's the next big thing? And everybody in the whole team looks to you for that. Yeah. So my question is how do you do that? How do you stay creative in, in that, that line of things with very long-term, very big decisions like that? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's tough. Yeah. And, and really, I mean, I'm sure you've seen it in the product world. 
I think you end up seeing kind of three product personas, maybe more, but there are those who keep the lights on and they're good at keeping the lights on. There are those mm-hmm. that talk about the future and a lot of times they get promoted because they're good about talking about the future. <laughs> and then there's those that really want to do something about the future. And those are probably that's probably the most risky type of PM to be um, because you are, you're not just talking about it, you're starting to build the foundation for it. Um, which can come off as not productive at times where you're building for the future and it's not penciling today. You know, it's not actually hitting our top line revenue today. Um, so it's hard to kind of, you've got to be, you know, a mixture of all three <laughs> um, where you're effectively doing the job today. You're promoting effectively for the future, and then you're actually building for it. I'm not great at promoting. I'm good at just kind of thinking about the future and, and starting to build for the future. And then the day to day, I'm not great at it because I'm you know always wanting to kind of get to the next thing. Um, but maintaining that, I think it's a lot of it is um, is a it's a balance of your approach, and you know I think it's it's finding the right personality of team and kind of learning how to work together and, and figure out what makes each other tick. Cause from the engineering standpoint, there are those that are going to be very concerned with the future and want to be a part of it. Others are going to be, you know, tell me what to do today. And that's yeah. all I care about. Um, I think there are also designers that are very similar where it's like, tell me what to do today and I'll be fine with that. And then others are like, I, I don't want to design something today if I don't know, how it's going to fit in the future. Um, so I think, you know, you definitely have to figure out the personality of the team to determine how involved they want to be. Um, something that we've done on teams in the past where you've figured out kind of like, oh, everyone's bought in, they want to be a cohesive group for a long time, they want to know what the future looks like. Um, something I enjoy doing is is involving the entire team in kind of crafting that future. So it's like the the Elon Musk um, manifesto, you know, where Elon Musk always has this manifesto that's like five years out of what the future is going to be for his company or for the world for that matter. And so a a good activity I feel like that um, I've used a few times with different teams is is talking about the future as if it's the present. So three years from now, what is the what what does our product look like and everyone being involved in what the future looks like and saying, um, you know, thematically, what have we accomplished? What's our position in the market? Uh, not necessarily like tactically, what have we built? Because you can kind of get into the weeds of like, we built uh, an autonomous whatever, you know, like you kind of, you can get into a, a very detailed nuance of like, well, you're working on that today. Obviously, you're going to build it by then. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but more thematically, like what does the future look like? And using that as a constant reminder of what the team collectively thinks the future looks like. So it's not just me, the PM, thinking about the future and saying, hey, guys, the future is according to me is this. Um, It's kind of the future according to the team. And then reminding them every time that we work on our roadmap and we set our goals and we kind of accomplish things quarter by quarter that we're working towards the future that we collectively have, have been imagining. Um, but more than that, it's also the PM then validating what that future, what the reality of the future is. So if we think three years from now we can get to what, um, go out and validate that. Make sure that that is a good idea. And if it's not, come back to the team and talk about it. Why is this not a good idea for us to go this direction? Um, but you know, I like that because it, it creates buy-in from the entire team. 
Um, from just crafting that narrative from the beginning of, of like a PM having an idea of what the future looks like, I think it goes back to those creative pursuits, like the conversations, um, paying attention to the market, looking at other industries that may be tangential or you know a little bit more ahead of the market that you're in, um, and making sure that you're keeping an eye on what could be coming your way. Um, those things are helpful for me. You know, I, I, I can't say, I think a lot of it also comes down to personality of just some people really want to know what's coming next and others just are concerned with getting the next set of code out the door. Um, sure. But yeah, yeah I, I mean, I would challenge every PM to really look way down the line and challenge their teams to do the same. What does the team think is going to happen in the next three to five years? Is it is it worth working towards or should we change tack? Yeah. And I, I have to say, so I've, I've witnessed you doing this <laughs> with our team. <laughs> and I have to say that I loved it because uh, what I loved is you, we had a blank slate as a team that we started to, to think about together. And it comes from, you know, these ideas come from a lot of different um, backgrounds and places of, of these individuals from our teams, from designer you know, from from different engineering, from QA, from all these people, from product management, they get to come together and try to figure out what does our future look like. And I I would say that 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 sort of exercise and that sort of way of working as a team was so cool because it got everyone uh, able to input ideas. Mm-hmm. Not that all of those ideas had to happen, you know, but it was a way for them to actually express themselves and feel free to like say, I think it should be like this because I've heard customers say this, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. And that in and itself fostered creativity that got us to think, what do we like in five years? What does this look like instead of what does this look like in two weeks at the end of this sprint? Mm-hmm. What does this look like in five years? And having those differences of opinions, having those different ideas thrown out on the table and having us together decide as a group, um, not always decide as a group, but together kind of figure out as a group how, where we're going to go, yeah, um, was a great way, I think, to foster creativity. Um, myself as a designer, uh, I try to be more of a facilitator as best I can mm-hmm. with ideas to help me make decisions on my designs instead of just me doing all of the decision making. Because as I've done that, if I you know let engineers give me their ideas. And I let uh, product people give me their ideas and, you know, customer service people give me their ideas. I, I get a lot of awesome ideas that I get to work with. Yeah. And they're way, at, way out of the box for me. I'm stepping out of the box. I get a lot of creativity that way. And I think as we do work together as a team, that's so cool. And you, you get to have that camaraderie as a team. You get to work towards something together that's further down the line. And I loved that. Um, so mm-hmm. I, as you're saying, like you challenge PMs to do that. I would also say the same thing. I would challenge PMs and designers to try to always facilitate that sort of working environment because I think lots of creativity, lots of fresh ideas um, come from that. And a lot of great team bonding comes from that as well. Yeah. Yeah. It helped because then you can refer back to it afterwards. Like these were yeah. our goals, not just my goals. Yes. And we, we almost, you know, we tried to create like a, a mission statement for the team as well, based off of what we thought the future looked like, which again, helped thematically where we were, we said we wanted to be X, Y, and Z to the market by doing 
ABC, you know, like it was, it was like a power statement of what her team wanted to accomplish. And mm-hmm. I liked that. It was really cool to then refer back to that. Um, of course, things changed at Canopy, but you know, <laughs> I like yeah. to think we accomplished <laughs> a lot of those things um, and they're continuing to accomplish a lot of those things. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's great. And again, it's not a template for here's exactly what we're going to do in five years. Yeah. And oh, this yeah. is how we're going to do it. Because that, that, that's always going to change, right? right? And you have to kind of think at a very general, broad level as a team how, how this might look or work. And then the, the individuals who own their different aspects of this are going to build it and make those decisions. Engineering is going to make the, the how for them. Mm-hmm. Design is going to make the how. You know, product's going to make the how for them. But you're still working together as a team cohesively. And I, I just loved, I loved doing that. So yeah. um, definitely would recommend uh, that listeners try something like that if they're not already doing that because it's a great way to foster uh, group creativity. Yeah. Great yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a cool question though. I mean, staying creative, of course there's books to read, you know, there's like the creativity ink, which I think everybody has read at this point, <laughs> including my children, you know, like <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it's like Ed Catmull. That's a, that's a guy from Pixar. Um, Anyway, Creativity Inc., it it talks about this. And then um, one of my professors at BYU had written a book, um, Innovators DNA, where it talks about, like, everybody can be creative. That's a good one. Uh, It goes through a lot of these activities that help people to be more innovative and creative. Mm -hmm. Um, And he did some interesting research about creativity and innovation where a lot of people feel like they lose it over time. And I, his assertion is there's, there are a lot of activities that we can do to continue to be creative and innovative, but a lot of times we lose that. So when we're children, we're willing to take a lot of risks. We're willing to experiment a ton. We're willing to try new things. Um, we'll talk to anybody, you know, and so we look at children and we think, wow, they're so creative, but they're, they're not concerned with, uh, societal rules yet, you know? And so There's not a lot of this uh, limitation when it comes to their own creativity. But as we grow up, we lose a lot of that. Um, and his his suggestion is we still have all of that ability, but you know we need to kind of immerse ourselves in these different activities in order to kind of reawaken a lot of that. And I think it's true. I do. I mean, just the way that even for myself, you know, COVID was hard for a lot of us because we did, we were working from home. We were just doing our jobs. We were, it was kind of mundane, same thing day mm-hmm. after day. And we lost a lot of our hobbies and kind of creative pursuits. Some people found new ones, but for me, I, I think I fell into like a, a routine of the day and, and felt like my brain was decaying. You know, it was like, I am not thinking like productive thoughts even, you know, not creative thoughts. It was just like a very... I finished my day type of feeling. Um, yeah. Whereas a lot of us now are trying to really get back out, do social things, do outdoor things, you know, kind of expand what we're doing, meet up with friends a lot more. Um, and I think that's super helpful, but yeah, those, those two books for me are really helpful for creativity and innovation, creativity, Inc, innovators, DNA. And I'm sure there's a lot of others, but those are the two that come to mind. Yeah. Very nice. Awesome. Go check those out. Listener. <laughs> yeah, and and the one that you're probably writing right now too, right, Michael? <laughs> yeah, you're writing a book, right? Yeah, it's it's called um, 
being really great at being mediocre. (laughs) (laughs) Excelling at average. (laughs) There's not enough mediocre people in this world. There's not, yeah. (laughs) Just be good at it, you know? Accept it and then be good at it. I remember... At least least be good at it. Don't be bad at being mediocre. Yeah, well... (laughs) I think we we were in the of the generation where like people started telling us that the guys that get A's work for the guys that get C's, you know, and people would be like, oh, uh, Bill Gates was a dropout and Mark Zuckerberg's a dropout. <laughs> like, guys, these are not average people. You know? yeah. <laughs> They're like bona fide geniuses. Mark Zuckerberg made that like Synapse project that Microsoft wanted to buy from him. It was like a, a it was like Pandora before Pandora was created. He was 17. At 17, I was jumping my friend's minivan over the railroad tracks. I definitely was not writing a musical algorithm to suggest music. And, you know, so just be mediocre, but be good at it. (laughs) You're not Mark Zuckerberg. And if you got C's in college, you're probably, you know, there's like a billion guys that got C's in college that are working very mediocre jobs. Whereas the guys that got straight A's, you know, they're, they've got houses in the Hamptons by now because they went did did banking for 25 years. <laughs> well, I, I look forward to hear more, many more of these thoughts. In your yeah. I'm very excited. I just started writing it right now, actually, <laughs> with what we're just talking about. Good. It's a working time. You're 1% done. <laughs> yeah. The excellent average. <laughs> beautiful well michael thank you so much for coming on yeah, i appreciate fun, your thoughts this, this is always great and your awesome pm perspective so yeah who knows always good it's, to have it it's a little unique i guess but i mean i'm a little uh no i think it's it's probably run-of-the-mill but you know sometimes my approach feels like it's a little out of the ordinary but it's worked so far okay i think it works great yeah. i've seen it i've seen it firsthand yeah Cool. All right, Andy. Thank you. Yeah. What? We'll see you later, buddy. Okay. Until next time, I'm invited. If there's a next time. <laughs> oh, there'll, there'll be a next time. We'll see. We'll see what Patrick says. We'll let <laughs> yeah. him listen to this and <laughs> see if he kicks you out or not. Friggin' Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. We'll talk soon. All right. See ya. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the pod. Real quick before you take off, we need your topics. Shoot an email to topics at designmuch.org or go to designmuch.org slash contact and fill out the form. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support us, go ahead and share the pod with some friends, coworkers, your weird aunt, that guy who takes your money every morning at the McDonald's, your hamster, really just whoever you want to. Lastly, go grab a Design Much t-shirt at designmuch.threadless.com and wear it freaking proudly. That's it, guys. Now have a good week, design nerds.